Hello, 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 and welcome. Today we are doing the arts report, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. of all local arts-related things here in Vancouver, B.C., reporting to you live from CITR 101.9 FM. So let me do a little intros, because this week things have changed up drastically. Actually, not that drastically. Um, <laughs> Sarah Lapsley, our usual host, she's away currently on conference, um, possibly partying in Calgary. I don't know, but she said she's on a business uh, conference, so we'll I'll take her word for that. But um, we have here the lovely Sahar, who is co-hosting with me today. You can say hi, Sahar. Hi. We have uh, Ignatius, who is... Uh, going to be one of our guests who I'm kind of having a little chat about car free day with and then we have a lovely new person here as well uh, who's sitting in and would like to get involved more involved with the arts report her name is Elisa there you go all right so so hey why don't you give a little breakdown of what we expect today on today's arts report so we packed show today was planned hopefully um first up we're going to talk about we're going to do a debrief on last week's Car Free Day with Ignatius. And and then we're you YouTube comedian Linda Productions. Responsible for, what's the big video? Oh, video? Yeah, D-Body. No. <laughs> Fit all. Oh. Yeah, the, okay. if it was in parody, yeah, that's what she's known for. Yeah, she's done a bunch of, and play a snippet of her video later on in the show. And we also have a pre-recorded interview with Bard on the Beach actress Naomi Wright. And we'll be talking about fun things to do in the city during summer. Awesome, awesome. So I guess um, first things first, though, the Slavic Day report from our new reporter, uh, Chan Du. In case you didn't know, Slavic Day happened uh, this week, uh, this weekend, this past weekend on Saturday by the Art Gallery. So you're about to find out a little breakdown of what went on. Just a moment. This past Saturday marked the first ever Slavic Day event, Vancouver's newest and largest pan-Slavic festival that showcases the vibrant culture, amazing food, and delightful music of countries such as Russia, Ukraine, Poland, and Serbia. The event is organized by Vancouver's Russian community, hoping to connect as well as to strengthen ties with other ethnic Slavic groups and the general public. According to Andrew, who is one of the event organizers, more than 50 ethnic groups have participated in event volunteering and performing. Besides that, thousands of people had stopped by the venue at Robson Square in downtown Vancouver, and it seems the typical Vancouver weather could not quench people's curiosity and enthusiasm for the event at all. Some of the notable performances include traditional Russian and Ukrainian dances, which the dancers range from as young as 7 years old to some 70-year-old dancers who are still the brightest stars on the stage. To learn or just to draw people's interests into the Slavic culture, there's no better way than performing some of the most famous Slavic ballads you may have heard of somewhere. No matter if it's Klinka, one of the most played hockey songs during the hockey games performed by the Balalaika Orchestra, Canada's largest Russian orchestra from Vancouver, or some timeless classics like Moscow Nights. The event also features a fashion show, which all of the clothing shown on stage were designed by local fashion designers of Slavic descent. 
In spite of the recent geopolitical tension between Russia and Ukraine, two of the largest Slavic nations by both population and land area, the event was celebrated without any presence of political acts or motivations. Both Ukrainians and Russians are among the lineup of performances on Saturday. Tamara, who is one of the candidates for Miss World Canada and the co-host of the event, told CITR that one of the main objectives of Slavic Day is to leave the differences and politics behind and embrace and celebrate what all Slavic nations have in common. The recent conflict in eastern Ukraine is politically motivated, and the friendship between the Russians and Ukrainians, which has been established and developed for thousands of years, should not be affected by such conflict. Slavic Day is truly a gem that is able to bring all people together, regardless of their backgrounds and beliefs. At the end of the day, not only do people understand better about Slavic culture in general. The event also gives people the opportunity to know each other, whom we share the same beautiful city together. This is Chen Du from CITR. This past Saturday marked the first ever Slavic Day. Hello, hello. All right, so we're back now.、Uh, thanks to Chen for telling us all about Slavic Day.、Uh, up next, we have a dear friend of mine、uh, who is a big part. Of the festival Car Free Day, so right after Slavic Day, we had a nice、uh, festival lined up. Car Free Day. So Iggy,、uh, aka Ignatius,、uh, what was your role in Car Free Day? I was helping out with the transportation team, so organizing all the transportation that goes on behind the scenes and setting up for the day of the festival at Main Street. At Main Street, yes,、uh, we should emphasize that Car Free Day has become quite big. It's like the tenth. This was the tenth anniversary of it, actually, this year, right?、Uh, yeah, the tenth anniversary of Car Free Festival as a whole. And it started in Commercial Drive, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's actually only the seventh year it's been at Main Street. Seventh year for Main Street, but Main Street, oh my! So I, I was also involved in this, so I guess I had a little bit of selfish reasoning for、uh, bringing you on. But、uh, it's just going to be interesting because I want to tell you first, from my perspective, how how the day started. Um, it started quite miserably, to put it frankly, because I was in a tent, under a tent, and right when I had brought the speakers, because CITR set up a booth at 30th and Main, we were going to play music. You know, we were going to be at the end of the festival. So as people exit, you know, there's a little bit of musical accompaniment, and they get to dance away. And、uh, the thing is,、uh, it was raining like crazy. It was raining like cats and dogs. All those cliched phrases you can think of. It was raining as much as that, and it was so bad that even car-free volunteers had come under my tent, and、uh, we were all just huddled together, shivering and waiting for this thing to to hopefully go away. And frankly, it was it looked so dooming and glooming that I was I was beginning to get you know like all panicky. I'm like, oh man, I called out volunteers from CITR to come here and、uh, you know dedicate their time table. Uh, which means just to you know sit at the booth and be a friendly face, but it was it was practically a thunderstorm,、um, and one that I've never seen in Vancouver, not for a long time, at least not in summer. I mean, it hailed. It 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 pretty much yeah it it did hail yeah you're right it it actually hailed at one point. So as if that wasn't bad enough,、um, 
then you know I, I, I assume for you Ignatius it must have been even worse because as somebody who's organizing the whole thing for the weather to go so unpredictably bad uh, all of a sudden how did you guys deal with it how did you, you and the team of volunteers manage to keep spirits up and uh, make the whole thing keep you know uh, run smoothly as possible so what adjustments did you have to make you know? I was first say that it actually did come all of a sudden as well yes because I actually just before the thundering started to happen it, there was actually a bit of a study break and I'd taken off my rain jacket and put it into my backpack so as as I, I was driving a truck and it was one of those moto car share trucks and I'd never used one before <laughs> and so I was driving out just in my t-shirt it was sunny we got to uh, May and 14th where I was waiting for someone and then the thundering started to happen like just cats and dogs and I was supposed to be somewhere else and I was oh, just man. in my t-shirt so I had to go out into the <laughs> rain to try to find this person I was supposed to meet yeah and when I got back to the car I couldn't start it oh my I goodness I couldn't start the car and you're the guy responsible for transporting yeah people and supplies like most importantly supplies for the vendors and oh my goodness and so what happened yeah so i had to walkie-talkie so <laughs> ev- all the co- core volunteers we all had walkie-talkie so it's yeah. like hey my car is dead i need someone to bail me out oh. and so obviously within like they sent someone over with another car and yeah. then the, one of the head organizers came over and he fixed it within three seconds Really? Just at that moment, just as he the car started, this all hell broke loose and like thunder clapped. It was like, <laughs> and, yeah, that, a little embarrassing to say the least. <laughs> oh well, you know, it's it was your first time even doing something on this scale, right? I, yeah. Like, and you had a pretty big role, so I mean, for me too, it was a first time like trying to organize music at because uh, I'm the new sponsorship coordinator at CITR. <laughs> Um, I just wanted to add that in there, but I also had to face this fear of, oh my God, how is everything going to go? Luckily, I had the he- like you similarly had help from your fellow compadre- compadres. I had uh, CJ and uh, Wade and some other great volunteers who came out, and they still were like, yeah, we can do this. You know, let's DJ in the rain. It's all good. You know, like that extra moral support goes a long way to keeping spirits high. And if, if you have just somebody there who's enduring the, the rain with you, you're just that much happier. I got to say, yeah, was, that was definitely true from the organizing uh, perspective as well because we had 70 core volunteers this year. So 70. So is that is that a good amount that's compared to last year? That's more than double what we had last year. Actually. Oh, wow. So we had a rather, we had a pretty large team this year. Mm-hmm. All the people who've been, part of the festival in years previous said this is like the most organized that they've ever be, ever been that's so, incredible yeah man uh, and then and then what happened Iggy sunshine amazingly it was came. absolutely beautiful yeah and this was the thing we, we toughed it out I'd say about what 30-40 minutes and then amazingly the whole day cleared up and that's when you saw car free come to life and I, it was unbelievable because I, I did a little walk around the festival I, and it's just amazing to see like 30 odd blocks of Vancouver just completely free of cars and uh, 
you see kids everywhere. Actually, there were a ton of kids. I think families really flocked to this event because it's just incredible to have uh, kids just riding their bikes right in the open street and everybody wandering. You know, there's so many tasty foods out there, like some great food carts. I had some great tacos, man. And uh, I think that was just one of all kinds of foods that you could have. Um, and then the patios. A lot of restaurants extended their patios. So in my mind, it was like this vision of a utopian Vancouver. Instead of no fun city, the moniker we're so cursed with, it, it became the epitome of fun city. So how was it for you to see this all click together in what looked like it was going to be catastrophe? Like, what was your reaction to this, your gut reaction? To be honest, I was, I was actually still quite stressed out throughout the day, just mm. because there was lots of other things that needed to be done. There so little mini issues done. would still come up here and there? Yeah, like, I mean, lost children happened. Oh, of like, course. Yeah. I mean, you said, like, theft sometimes happens as well. But still, like, it was fantastic to see all of Vancouver come out. You're right about the children. It was really cool to see, like, children with their parents and, like, children just, like, dancing in the streets, like, Without a, without a care in the world. It was really nice to get that sense of community. Yeah, and um, I don't see why this couldn't be more of a regular thing, at least in the summertime. At least in the summertime, like, it doesn't have to be on the scale of car-free day, but just, you know, sections, like five blocks, for example, instead of 30. That's a lot, you know, but sections of uh, Main Street, Commercial Drive, maybe other streets, but Main Street seemed like it was the life of the party, I've heard, or so I've heard from other people that Main Street has become the biggest part of the festival. So mm -hmm. hopefully we'll see this coming up more. And I, I think it definitely benefited the local businesses a lot. So that's awesome. Well, thank you, Ignatius. That was great to hear from you, the challenges, overcoming the challenges and eventually uh, delivering on a successful car-free day. Do you think you're going to come back to it again? Most definitely. Most definitely. And same here, man. I, I think I would love to. So thank you again, Ignatius. And uh, I'll be seeing you soon. And hopefully you might come back here on the studio for some, for some more events. All right. So up next, we have YouTube comedian Linda from her channel, Linda D Productions. Um, she has over almost 90,000 subscribers on YouTube, and she's made numerous videos on topics such as 10 types of guys you'll meet at a party or annoying things people do, and he has a sexy girlfriend, which we're going to actually play a snippet of right now. All right. What's his name? His name is Brian Bosling. Okay, let me go find him on Facebook right now. Oh my god, this one? Yeah, that one. Ah! Oh my god, trust me, he looks way better in person. <laughs> what is he? I think he's a hacker. He's like totally mixed or something. No wonder he's so hot. And we have so much in common, like he's been to Europe and I've been to Europe. Linda, he has a girlfriend though. What? Yeah, it's Facebook official. In a relationship with Susan Boyle. Oh. So that was a snippet uh, from Linda's video. Uh, he has a sexy girlfriend. Welcome, Linda. Hi, thanks for Hi. having me. Hi, Linda. Welcome to the show. Um, so tell us about yourself and your channel. Uh, about myself. Um, I am a student and a, I guess, director, filmer, and producer. 
and I just make short skits on YouTube. And yeah, that's uh, about me. <laughs> How did your channel come about? I started when I was 18. I just have had so many ideas and I'm like, where can I show people these ideas? And YouTube was kind of up and running around that time. And so I'm like, I'm just going to put up a video, see what happens. And I posted it and a lot of people liked it. I'm like, hey, let's make some more. And that's how it kind of started. Is it fun? Oh, yeah. No, I, I love it. It's it's really cool when you have a project and you're able to cast people and bring it to life. Yeah, that's what I really like about it. And when did it um, start catching on? When did you notice it was catching on? Um, let's say about, I think, actually this year, January, I started noticing it became really, started really catching on. I don't know why, but um, it just got really, yeah, a lot popular. So let's talk about one of your popular uploads, 10 Types of Girls at Parties. Um, so what prompted you to make that video? Was it a specific incident? Oh, yeah. Um, I was, I think around that time, I just was partying a lot. I think I probably hit like 19 at that time. And so I was at a lot of parties. And then I just remember seeing like a girl on the bed passed out. I'm like, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of funny. And then I, was, and I just started like thinking of like, I can make a video out of this. And that's how it kind of all started. Uh, <laughs> well, that's interesting. So it's a lot to do with just daily observations. Yeah. Just stuff you see mm -hmm. around. Um, so one of your videos I really like is... If girls were guys at parties, mm -hmm. I think that was hilarious. Thank so, you. what was what was the creative process behind that video? Um, the creative process would be well, it would be um, probably just like I was probably hanging with my friends around that time, and then I'm like, oh, that's kind of funny. And so, what I usually do is I write it down right away, and then from there, I would go to like a coffee shop and write up the whole idea, and then I start casting people, and then I start picking up times and where we should do it, and then we film. So you're in charge of everything, from mm -hmm. casting to editing to putting mm -hmm. everything together. Yeah, like location scouting mm -hmm. as well. And I was actually yeah. going to ask about casting. Do you just grab your friends, or do you do you actually have to find people who can act? Or that is their thing. Like I'm not saying your friends can't act, but it's kind of mm -hmm. hard to judge from you know. Like do you just kind of grab whoever you can, whoever's convenient, and mm -hmm. and go with that, or like how did how did it, how did that start, and has that changed overall your casting? My casting, I guess I, well, I've always start I, because I also do photography as well. Oh, okay. I've, I've casted ever since, like, 15, so it started off with me just casting, like, models, and then with the YouTube, it was just, like, it was just in me to really cast people mm -hmm. <laughs> for, like, things, and, like, yeah, and usually it's um just my friends, yeah. people that I've met, and then I'm like, you guys you can have a good personality, maybe you can be in a video, and that's how it usually happens. It's, like, usually through friends. Yeah. That's awesome. And your mm. friend and what did your friends think when you like just dumped them in a YouTube video like, yeah, sure, but probably dis were they dismissive at first or were they really like they were excited to get YouTube famous as well? <laughs> they're, well, they're really excited because I guess it's really different and I think everybody yeah. wants to be like in a video or just kind of, yeah, yeah. it's just a different environment. So, yeah, that's But how. at the same time, kind of casual because, you know, you're, you're with friends and you're mm. making it together. It's not like a big nerve-wracking yeah. production. Like, I, I assume you guys have a pretty casual, uh, you know, ca casual demeanor on set, you mm -hmm. know? Like <laughs> yeah, for sure. We're always laughing on set. Like, I, for me, I think most importantly is if you're working, everyone should be, like, happy or yeah. in a good mood. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that really helped. That's why when I have with my friends, it's, like, it's very casual and it's just, like, um, yeah. 
<laughs> do you follow other YouTube comedians? Mm-hmm. I really like Superwoman. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. She's so funny, and the fact that she's from Toronto, too, it's mm-hmm. really cool. Like, she's also Canadian. Yeah, yeah. And, but she, she does, Superwoman is Indo-Canadian, right? She's, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, I love, I, I've seen some of her <laughs> stuff, so. It's hilarious. Yeah. It, it is, because it, it's, again, she strikes some of those uh, cultural Unique things about being Indian, but also in a Western environment, and then mm-hmm. how those kind of like mesh, but sometimes also the the paradoxes and conflicts of interest. And that kind there. of parallels mm-hmm. with your show as well, because you talk about Asian mean girls and just mm-hmm. issues related to Asian culture. Mm-hmm. And um, so, would you say YouTube is a good platform to share videos? Mm-hmm. It's an it's an awesome platform for under, especially for yeah. underrepresented faces and voices right mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. for sure it's a youtube reaches like a mass audience if you're like a filmmaker just starting out or just like want to get your stuff out there youtube is the best way mm-hmm. to share because everyone's on it yeah every, mm-hmm. everything is moving online these days mm-hmm. um so what about your fans have you ever had someone approach you on the street mm-hmm. and yeah i've had yeah i've had a couple <laughs> that must be kind of scary, eh? Kind of, uh, at first. No, no, not not scary. I don't think I'm even scared. <laughs> it's just like oh, like oh. Or, I, 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 scary is the wrong word. Yeah. Yeah. Awkward a little bit. Like just like oh man, now I have to. Surprise. <laughs> yeah, surprise. I I yeah, I guess it mixed emotions. Um, I think mm. there was one time I was just walking around my block yeah. going home and then a girl was walking her dog and she's like you make videos I'm like yes <laughs> it's kind, of, kind of awkward because we're just like standing here like on the sidewalk and I'm like yes uh, I'm like I don't yeah and then I don't know how to I'm, I'm kind of awkward sometimes so I don't know how to end it like hi I'm like oh that's really cool and it just got awkward and she's like, okay. Bye now. <laughs> I'm going to walk my dog now. I'm like, okay, have fun. Like, I don't really know how to end. You know what I was going <laughs> to ask you is, uh, how, tech, how tech savvy were you before you got into like making videos? Like, Were you pretty experienced with the uh, video editing? Or does this thing kind of come... Now? Because you know, it's something everybody, I think, has an interest in. When they see YouTube YouTubers, they're like, oh, maybe I could do that. Oh, anybody can do that. Just right? But I think there's... Maybe it's for some people with just a webcam and all that. But no, like how did how did how did you get in? And technically, was that something you just kind of immersed yourself in right away, or did that take some time, uh, skills for you know? Hmm. Um. Well, I just had a program that on my computer. I think I use iMovie. Mm. Oh. A lot of people use like Final Cut Pro, which I should is... get on that MacBook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I just had iMovie, which is really simple. It's already like on your Mac, and mm-hmm. so I just played around with that. And that's yeah, how I started. Around. Yeah, it's it really is. Everything I learned, I think it was just kind of self-taught. Self-taught, like, taught, video, yeah. I just played around with it, shoot, and then I, you know, played around mm-hmm. with editing as well. So getting into it, I just, it's already, I think a lot of, like, filmmakers and whatnot, it's already there. You can use, like, the most simple things and create content and share. You don't have to have all these crazy get-up. Like, yeah. I use just a Canon Mark II to mm-hmm. shoot, and that's all I use. Yeah, that's yeah. It's entry. Would, would that be considered entry? I'm very um, poor on my f- uh, photography gear knowledge, but it, was that considered an entry level camera, perhaps like for DSLR? Maybe just one step up. One step. <laughs> like DSLRs, like yeah, yeah. Just just that's good. So for anyone who's listening and thinking they want to be a YouTube comedian, mm-hmm. how do you do it? What's your advice? 
um, advice for that mm. to get start on YouTube. Yeah, I guess if you're starting on YouTube, um, just go for it. Don't be shy and don't think of it as, will I be successful on YouTube? Just kind of, just don't see it as, yeah, will I be successful? Just do it without knowing because, you know, if you're starting on it, you really enjoy doing it. Like, have a purpose if you're starting YouTube. And you have a goal as well. And also look up people who inspire you as well and see their journey and how they came about going to where they are today. And yeah, so that's advice. <laughs> and what do, what, do, what do you have um, coming up next? Anything we should Ooh, look forward to? Any, I, any previews <laughs> of videos? <laughs> I was filming all week, actually. It's, uh, it's involving guys again. And <laughs> let's just say it involves guys and Vancouver. So mm. we'll see. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> also, yeah. just a final question. How mm -hmm. do you juggle so many responsibilities? Because you're a student, mm -hmm. and it seems like it would be very time-consuming to mm -hmm. put together a video when the entire kind of creative process and the production is entirely you. You mm -hmm. are in charge of everything. Yeah. So how do you manage to juggle all those responsibilities? I just have... Yeah, I would just be scheduling whenever i'm free i would just go full on into it mm -hmm. just whenever i'm free really. it became more like a yeah if, if you made it part of your play your yeah. free time it's work is play but th this is not as much work for you anymore is it if, if you're making it like so i'm doing this yeah. even in my spare time you know mm -hmm. that that's that's a great way of i think that's that's a probably a good piece of advice right there for anybody out there who wants to do multiple things mm -hmm. you got to make even in because this is a lot of hard work to make these YouTube videos, mm -hmm. but if you want to be able to do that along with school or along with a full time job, you got to be able to realize that I have to do this in any time I've got spare, you know, yeah. any time that any time literally that you can squeeze out of your day. So, mm -hmm. <clears throat> you well, literally just have to make time for it. Yep. Yeah, and if you love it so much, you will make time exactly if right? it's truly your passion or mm. whatever word you want to use for it passion's almost an overused <laughs> word but uh regardless do you so i guess one thing to end off in do you have greater dreams of being a filmmaker uh, yeah. uh or is this more just going to be a consistent hobby how do you look at it yeah i think it's it's slowly becoming to me kind of like work for mm -hmm. some reason it's it's getting to the point where it's like it's like my life now like, I'm always thinking about it, like, yeah. when I wake up till I sleep. Yeah, and I really have awesome. bigger dreams for it as well. Like, I want to do a lot more, like, have my own network and just kind of inspire other filmmakers that you don't need all these crazy get-ups to do what you love. And, but yeah. It could definitely <laughs> be, like, a springboard for something bigger. Because mm -hmm. I think Superwoman started off kind of small as yeah. well. And now she's traveling the globe, mm -hmm. so... Yeah, yeah, that's that what be... I love to do, like travel to do that. Mm. It's really fun. Yeah, it's like a dream job. Mm -hmm, for sure. Yeah. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us, Linda, and good luck with the, the rest of your uh, video productions. I know they're going to be big hits on YouTube, um, <laughs> and, and I hope you keep kind of like doing this, but also to inspire others that you mentioned, because that's something I think a lot of people need is, People, you know, get demotivated by mm -hmm. a job or school and they, they, they just kind of get downed by it and they forget that, you know, doing something like that you do that is almost just a creative outlet 
it can lead to something bigger. Who knows, mm-hmm. right? Or just doing it for the pure joy of it. Make time for that, right? Like that. Yeah. That is a really important lesson to take out of your your story. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much again for yeah, joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. Um, you can watch and subscribe to Linda's channel at www.youtube.com forward slash Linda D Productions. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick PSA break, but we'll be right back. Thank you so much. The 37th annual Vancouver Folk Music Festival comes to Jericho Beach Park July 18th to the 20th. Over 60 acts from Joan Baez, Andrew Bird, Amos Lee, and Mary Lambert to Ozo Motley and Mauritania's Nura Mintse Mali. There's a world of amazing music coming to your own backyard. The Vancouver Folk Music Festival. Info and tickets at thefestival.bc.ca. TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival, June 20th to July 1st. 1,800 artists from all over the world, 300 concerts, 35 indoor and outdoor venues. Get ready for the best 12 days of music. The TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival, June 20th to July 1st. Go to vanjazzfest.ca for details. Now in its third year, Taking Turns provides a laid-back, house-concert-type venue for local and touring musicians to share their original music and stories. Each month, three artists or acts take to the stage and play music in the round. Taking Turns happens every last Wednesday of the month at the unique Prop House Cafe located at 1636 Venable Street. Taking Turns is committed to bringing live and original music to East Vancouver while raising funds for local charities through a monthly raffle. This month's chosen charity is First Call BC Child and Youth Advocacy Coalition. Taking Turns would not be possible without the kind and continued support of sponsors Bone Rattle Music, Dominion Blue Repographics, and CITR 101.9 FM. For more information about upcoming shows and artists, please visit takingturns.ca. That's Taken, spelled T-A-K-I-N, without the G. On Friday, June 27th, Dean Wareham comes to the Biltmore Cabaret, featuring special guest Jody Glennam. 
Tickets are available at Red Cat Records, Zulu Records, and High Life Records, or online at ticketweb.ca. For more information, go to deanwareham.com. Hello, hello. So uh, we're back now on uh, CITR 101.9 FM at the Arts Report. Sahar, you have a little bit of news for us to announce. And what's that? critically acclaimed festival of short plays. It's kicking off tonight and will run all the way until the 21st of June at the Kulch, uh, at the Kulch in East Vancouver. And tickets can be purchased online at www.shifttheatre.ca or you can get two free tickets from um, if you tune into our Facebook page and our Twitter page at CITR underscore arts report. And now we're going to play a sneak peek of the festival. Um. What does a scanner see? He asked himself. Yeah. Sure. From a scanner darkly. What does a scanner see? He asked himself. I mean, really see. Into the head? Down into the heart? Does a passive infrared scanner like they used to use, or a cube type hollow scanner like they use these days, see into me? Into us? Clearly or darkly? I hope it does, he thought, see clearly, because I can't any longer these days see into myself. I see only murk. Murk outside, murk inside. I hope for everyone's sake the scanners do better, because, he thought, if the scanner sees only darkly the way I myself do, then we are cursed, cursed again, and like we have been continually, and we'll wind up dead this way. Knowing very little, and getting that little fragment wrong too. So we're back now. Uh, that was a sneak peek of the Shift Festival, right? The Shift Theater Festival. Shift Theater Festival. Yeah. All right. Uh, what do we have next, Sahara? I believe it's an interview. Yes, it's an interview with Bard on the Beach actress Naomi Wright. She is starring in two plays this summer, Midsummer Night's Dream and The Tempest. All right. So uh, coming up next, interview with Bard on the Beach. So, first of all, tell us about the festival. Um, I know that it's um, it's really popular. You just celebrated your 25th anniversary, and you continue to have a really strong audience. Tell us about Bard on the Beach. Well, I think that Bard on the Beach is it's really a Vancouver institution. I mean, I remember before when I'm I'm actually from Ontario, and when I first came out to BC, it was um, it was one of the first. Uh, theaters that I went to see and it's 
I think that what it is for a lot of people is an entire event. I mean, we used to come down and, and sit and wait for tickets and bring a picnic and then see the show. And it's, it's a pretty magical setting and it's a magic Shakespeare itself is really magical. So I think that people in Vancouver really hold it sort of, it's a little bit different than just going to see the theater. It's kind of, it, it's an event that you partake in. And I think that that is what has made the festival so successful over the years. It has a very unique setting. Absolutely. Yeah, talk about the setting. Why the beach? Well, I think that, it, first of all, just for the sheer beauty of it, I mean, um, the inlet is one of the most beautiful places in Canada. You see the ocean and the mountains in the background. What becomes really remarkable about, um, about the setting is that because the tent is open open at the back the weather plays a huge role in the show and uh that both has its you know um benefits and its and its challenges um you know on any given night um there can there could be a thunderstorm a rainstorm a windstorm and what we found is that uh, what i found in my experience at Bard that the audiences delight in that especially in things like midsummer night's dream and the tempest which we're doing this summer both of them reference the fact that there are storms. In the Midsummer Night's Dream, because Titania and Oberon are at war, the, the elements are reflecting that, and so they, she talks about how the seasons are altering, that there are rainstorms that are causing rivers to swell and, and flood. I mean, the tempest begins with a huge storm that Prospero has created to strand his enemies on his island. So... It can be absolutely magical, if totally challenging. <laughs> I was about to ask you about that, actually. That was my next question, just the challenges about working outdoors. Yeah. I'm sure at times it would coincide with the setting of the plays, but at other times it would pose serious challenges. And, absolutely. Um, but what's it like performing on a stage with a beachy backdrop? <laughs> well, it's fantastic. Number one, it's fantastic because our, I always say that Bart on the Beach has the best backstage in the world. I mean, you know, when we're sitting, sitting backstage waiting to enter, you're usually sort of in the dark belly of a theater, which has its own magic to it, but we get to sit and look at Stanley Park and the mountains and the ocean. So it's pretty remarkable. I mean, you do have to come prepared. Uh, we're always, you know, we're really well prepared with layers of clothing because the temperature can drop quite suddenly. Um, and then on, on the other extreme, you know, uh, the summer we did um, Othello here, it was the hottest summer that I'd ever experienced in BC and, and the temperature was getting up wow. to 40, 40 degrees, you know, and... Um, yeah, um, based on the images and... Um, the clips that I've seen, the stage looks gorgeous. The backdrop and just the setting is just mesmerizing. It's so yeah. dazzling. And I feel like it's kind of representative of um, kind of like the West Coast Vancouver experience. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. You know, with anything in Shakespeare, you know, performing these plays 400 years on, it opens up the possibility to these plays to do anything with it. And I would say that both Meg and um, Dean have taken advantage of that. I mean, Dean's Midsummer Night's Dream is a rock and roll, um, sexy, um, comedic, thrilling ride. Mm -hmm. And Meg's 
dream, I mean, sorry, Meg's Tempest is like this incredible island where, you know, a string quartet inhabits and much of the magic in The Tempest it comes from the music. Actually, it does in both shows, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, Shakespeare is one of the most kind of popular figures in the entire universe. Yeah. Um, so people definitely, obviously, like, they know of him. Um, have you always been a fan of Shakespearean plays? Yes. I think I think that Shakespeare was what got me into the theater. I mean, I'd always had an Im- interest in improv and comedy. But when I, I think that you, when I was 16, I saw Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet. And I... I fell in love with how eloquently and articulately Shakespeare can express the human condition. And as a teenager, I felt like Romeo and Juliet put all of that angst that you feel as a teenager into the most remarkable, expressive poetry. That's true. That's so true. And Baz Luhrmann's uh, production of that captured all of the... um, sexiness and the danger that 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 would have been what Shakespeare showed to his audience you know I'm really interested in that like you know I, I love Shakespearean plays that reference the time that it was uh, written in and I also love Shakespearean, Shakespearean productions that show the, the modern audience what it would have felt like, right? So you update everything to a point that it becomes immediately a, a reflection on the audience. Mm-hmm. That's what's great about Shakespeare. It's so open to interpretation. Absolutely. Um, even even the the comedies, Midsummer Night's Dream. It's um, it is a comedy, but it's laced with really really serious themes and themes of love and fate and destiny. And it's it's always interesting to see how um, how it. Uh, translates on stage. Absolutely. Um, so you're, you're, the festival is showcasing four different plays this year, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Two on the main stage and two on the studio stage. So I know two of them are obviously The Tempest and Midsummer Night's Dream, which is the ones that you're starring in. Mm-hmm. What are the other two? Uh, it is Cymbeline, uh, which is one of uh, Shakespeare's also produced plays, and in my opinion, one of his greatest. It's uh, an absolutely wild journey that features one of his best heroines, Imogen. And uh, the other one is not Shakespeare. It's, uh, it's a play called uh, Equivocation. And it follows the plot, uh, the gunpowder plot. So Guy Fawkes and his, um, his attempt to uh, blow up Parliament. And uh, the writer um, uh, considers or imagines how Shakespeare might have been involved in the politics of that mm. time. So tell, tell us about your characters in The Tenth Summer Night's Dream. Well, in The Summer Night's Dream, I play Titania, the Queen of the Fairies, and um, in play, uh, traditionally a male part, changed it to Stefana. Oh. And what's really interesting is that The Tempest is, uh, is considered a romance. It's neither a comedy nor a tragedy. And and the Tempest has more strings of of um, this play than and that you know uh, that some of the some of the threads throughout it are quite dark and quite sad and quite introspective. And some people, um, you know, it's it's generally thought that it was the last play that Shakespeare wrote, yeah, and that perhaps that. he is Prospero. And there's that um, epic. Um 
epilogue, monologue, epilogue, I'm not sure either one. Epilogue is the right, yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's, um, it's because of that people thought it was his last play, right? I think. That's right. And the whole, there's a whole thread of Prospero um, deriving his magic from his books, and that he says at the end of the play, I will drown my book. And he says, you know, these are actors, we're all spirits and are melted into air, into thin air. And he references the great globe itself, which, you know, can, could be the world, but it could also be the theater that Shakespeare wrote for and played in. And so there is this sense that he was saying goodbye to the theater and that he was letting go of his magic, which was his writing. So what's it, what's it like rehearsing for two different plays? Oh, it's fantastic. Do you rehearse for both characters in one day, or...? No, generally what happens is the week... uh, You you can, but usually what happens is the week is split up into um, uh, sort of equal parts rehearsal for both shows. Um, And so you can sometimes be called for what we call a secondary rehearsal. So if in the main hall they're rehearsing The Tempest, but my scenes are not being rehearsed that day, uh, the other director or... Uh, sound designer or whoever might pull me into a secondary rehearsal room to work on specific things for the other show. Yeah, it must um, it must be challenging having to kind of adapt your mindset to two very different plays in, in the sense that one is, is a comedy and the other does touch on more serious themes. Well, the, the interesting thing from... The interesting thing for me is that in the romance, in sort of the, you know, in The Tempest, I play the, I'm part of the comic plotline. And in Midsummer, which is the comedy, uh, I mean, Titania gets to a place when she's under the spell that funny things happen and and that she gets giddy with love, but she starts quite a serious thread. Um, and, you know, the forgeries of jealousy and, and, and the big speeches that Titania has are quite heartfelt and quite, uh, quite serious and profound. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have this really remarkable experience of playing the straight person in the comedy and the comic person in the straight play, oh, so <laughs> which I, I really appreciate. Because mm-hmm. Titania's character changes completely throughout the play. From what I remember, she, does. Um, her, she completely transforms after she's enchanted. Mm-hmm. Do you do anything um, interesting or quirky to get into character? Hmm. Um, it's a lot of um, making sure that you're focused and your mindset is where you need to be to to fulfill all of the needs of the character. So I, I do a warm-up, uh, and a lot of that is, is sort of vocalizing and making sure that I've warmed up all sort of in my body and my vocal cords and all that stuff. But then it's also about really focusing in on what that character needs. And I would say that for both plays, actually, and, and whether you're playing a comic plotline or a, or a tragic plotline, both of those things, you need your characters to desperately want the things that they want. Mm. And it's a really interesting thing that that is what makes comedy funny and it's what makes tragedy real is that both of you, you have to approach the work kind of the same way, that they genuinely need what they want. Mm-hmm. So you, you've been working with Bard on the Beach for three seasons? Three or five seasons? Five, yeah, this is my fifth season. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So what has your experience been like? It's fantastic. Bard, Bard is a remarkable company in many ways, that it's sort of this 
magical place in the summer. And it's also a, a, extremely familial. Um, it's a very close-knit group of people. Um, they, and, and having said that, you know that there, there are players that come back season after season. Some people come back, you know, every other season. Um, but it, it has always felt extremely welcoming to me and extremely um, joyful. And there's a lot of good energy at this place. It's, it's a very generous place to be, and, uh, and that's, it's pretty special in that way. It just, it looks really, really dazzling based on what I've seen so far, and I, I'm so excited to watch Midsummer Night's Dream. I, that's the one that I, I, I remember reading in high school. I read The Tempest a really, really long time ago, so I don't yeah. remember it that well. But yeah. Yeah. And um, finally, what, um, what should the audience look forward to? So what can they take away from, what are you hoping that they take away from the play? Um, how do I think? I... I want people to leave feeling reaffirmed about life, about hope, that these plays offer sort of this insight into all sorts of elements of humanity. You know, I think in all of the shows, you'll come and you'll laugh and you'll cry. And, and I think that all art is meant to help us examine our lives through different lenses. And, and I think that this year, perhaps even more than any other year, it being the 25th anniversary as well, um, the plays are so diverse and so distinct, and I, I think will will offer the audience a huge range of experience. Mm -hmm. That's really exciting. I'm, I'm really looking forward to watching. Great. Um, <laughs> so before you go, could you could you share some um, some dialogues from one of your scripts? Oh, sure. Um, well, you know, one of the most interesting things about working on Titania, and especially in light of, you know, Stephen Harper just approving the, uh, the pipeline, is she has this speech about, um, about the seasons altering. And it just seems so prescient with climate change and, and how, you know, the wants and desires of some affect the entire planet, this remarkable thing that just floats through the universe and we can live on it. So um, she says to Oberon, these are the forgeries of jealousy and never since the middle summer spring that we on hill and dale, forest or mead, by paved fountain or by rushy brook or in the beached margin of the sea to dance our ringlets to the whistling wind but with thy brawls thou hast disturbed our sport therefore the winds piping to us in vain as in revenge have sucked up from the sea contagious fogs which falling in the land hath every pelting river made so proud that they have overborne their continent. So tickets are now available on sale for Bard on the Beach playing at Vanier Park and they can be purchased online at www.bardonthebeach.org or over the phone between 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. Cool. Now it's time for our guide, the Arts Report Guide to Summer. So we can just alternate. We also have other people in the studio here. So what we're going to do is just a quick little uh, segment on what's there to do on, in summer that's arts-related in Vancouver. So start with you, Suhair. What is your suggestion? 
I really want to go to the Stanley Park outdoor movies.、Mm. I think they have a pretty extensive lineup of movies this year. And I think one of them is Despicable Me. So I think that is definitely an event to look out for. That's awesome.、Uh, I've got some things written down here.、Um, there's a play coming up, actually. It's, called Ri-、uh, it's by this company called Rice and Beans Theater. And、uh, they are from, they're, they're composed of SFU alumni and、uh, just brand new, just starting out. They have a play that's called Loomings or the Whale. Um, it's based on Moby Dick, and it is uh, supposedly uh, a really interesting experimental kind of interpretive dance production. So, if you guys want to give that a shout, let me just one second quickly check the location because they are renting space actually, since they're a, a new theater company. And here we go Rice and Beans Theater, load up, please. <laughs> Ah, here it is. Pandora's Box Studios. So,、uh, from June 27th to 29th and July 2nd to 5th at 8 p.m.,、uh, you got to go to Pandora's Box Studios on 1890 Pandora Street. Also, coming up、uh, is the Jazz Festival, TD Vancouver International Jazz Festival.、Uh, this is going to be a plenty of fun. Are any of you guys into jazz by any chance, or am I the only one who's kind of looking? Oh, I, I hear some people there. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously going to be really cool. I, I was kind of bummed out last year. We didn't,、uh, I, I wasn't in the country for this, but there was a group called Bad, Bad, Not Good. They're one of my favorite groups. I, I've told. Where did they play here? Yeah, they played a free show at、uh, the Jazz Festival last year. So there's going to be all kinds of cool acts coming up. And I mean. Bobby, oh, is Bobby McFerrin playing? I- Iggy just told me that. He's, he's got a show, not for free, but he's got a show. Legendary、uh, mouth music <laughs> from Bobby McFerrin. He's really cool. I think that's a show I would actually consider going to because what he does is he actually gets the audience to kind of like make layers of beats and harmonies and he gets them to participate with you. So it's, that would be a really cool one to check out.、Uh, oh. Iggy, what, what you got? Cool free acts、uh, that's happening on June 28th at David Land Park is one of the free shows. Is this group called Delhi to Dublin? Ah, Delhi to Dublin,、and、cool. Delhi to Dublin is a very cool mix between Bhangra and Celtic and electronic、mm, music. That sounds really cool. That is interesting. That, I almost have to go because that <laughs> defines me. Because I went to Dublin. I'm born in Delhi. I'm not joking. I'm born in New Delhi. And I lived in Dublin last year for exchange. So I think I think I found my new show to go to. Thank you, Iggy, for that. Uh, Sahir, uh, did you have a, another one to shoot at us?、Um, there's a food cart festival going on every Sunday until the 22nd of September. Yeah, I, I did not jot down the location, but <laughs> we can look it up. It's in Olympic Village. Olympic, Olympic Village, Village, right? Oh, okay, okay. Let's check that out. The, the culinary arts are also covered in the arts report, in case you didn't realize. <laughs>、uh, the food cart festival. Let's check it out. Okay, one second. Food cart fans. Okay, so this is going to be. It's actually every Sunday starting June 22nd. Every Sunday from, 5 p- from noon to 5 p.m. Yeah, between Canby Street Bridge and the Olympic Village. 
So uh, if you are into barbecue uh, or if you're just into like all kinds of ethnic foods, Indian, Chinese, uh, you, you can really find it all here with the food cart festival. So that's, that's pretty awesome. And of course, coming up uh, in July, July is like festival season. Uh, really, there's a ton of cool things. And we mentioned Delhi to Dublin earlier. Speaking of the Delhi part, there is Indian Summer Festival, uh, which starts on July 2nd, I believe. And July 3rd, yes. So July 3rd to 12th is Indian Summer Festival. There's all kinds of cool events for this. Lots of uh, workshops. If you want to learn to Bhangra, you can do that. If you want to learn to dance like... Uh, those great Bollywood actors, you can do that. All of that is uh, part of the Indian Summer Festival, as well as um, South Asian poets and, uh, and writers. They are coming down to talk about their works and kind of talk about their inspiration and how they, how they write and their process and also kind of in, inhabiting two worlds because many of these writers, they actually not only are Indian, but they, they very much embrace, Amer like whether they're American Indians or um, Indo-Canadians, they kind of try to embrace both perspectives in their writing. So you'll get to hear about that. Um, and of course, Katsalano, which we're going to be at on July 12th. Uh, that's going to be really awesome. So there's plenty of things to do and see. Anything else, guys, you want to add in before... We close off. Okay. Um, you guys mentioned like um, the stuff I wanted to say before, like um, the bard on the um, on the beach, right? Mm -hmm. um, Midsummer's Night Dream and the Tempest. Yeah. And um, yeah, um, the food car festival, right? Um, I also wanted to mention the Prohibition City thing. It's like um, walking tours, but like it's oh, like, cool! It's supposed to be like really interesting, like it's really immersive, and like you actually see like mobsters. It's like kind of the underground history of Vancouver and stuff. So yeah. That should be interesting. Yeah. It's uh like nineteen dollars for students and twenty two for adults. And um yeah. That's just that's one. And second is um HR McMillan Space Center. Oh yeah. And yeah. yeah, like they have like real cool space stuff going on and it's also in Van E Park. So like even if you don't like want to go for the the bard on the beach right then, you can just like check that out. Um they have some pretty cool um, exhibitions about living in space and stuff, so that should be cool. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I think that covers it, guys. Well, yeah. thank you for joining us. Uh, we're going to play uh, one track by the Shilohs, a group that I've recently discovered, and I really want to sh just shamelessly promote here. <laughs> um, but we're going to play one track by them. Let's see. I think Student of Nature... Uh, really fits our show today. So we'll do that. And uh, thanks for joining us on CITR 101.9 FM. Uh, tune in next after uh, the Shiloh's song you're going to hear from Arts On Air. Thank you. Goodbye. Yeah.
Around. 